Well, good morning. Our passage uh, for today uh, comes from Acts 4, 32 through 37. So if you would take your Bibles uh, and follow along or uh, follow along on the screen. Uh, this is God's word. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have given it to us, that you have uh, spoken to us uh, through it. We thank you that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we ask now that you would uh, reveal the truth and power that is in your word, uh, cut us to our hearts and souls, and that we would uh, come to praise you uh, even more. Uh, may, may my words be your words, uh, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's a, a great episode uh, of the show Seinfeld, kind of later in the show, um, that kind of flashes back all the way to the, the very beginning, uh, as it were, uh, and uh, it shows uh, Jerry, who's the title character of the show, uh, moving into a, a, an apartment, and one of the, the neighbors you know, pokes his head in to introduce himself, and, and Jerry, the title character, uh, you know, says to, the, says to the, the neighbor, oh yeah, I'm Jerry, I'm just moving in, and uh, the, the neighbor says, oh, welcome, and, and then Jerry says, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I just ordered a pizza, why don't you stay around uh, and, uh, you know, have some pizza with me, and uh, the man responds by saying, oh, you know, I, I don't want to impose on you at all, and, and Jerry says, no, no, what's mine is yours, and uh, the, the neighbor, you know, kind of perks up a little bit and says, really, uh, now, if you've seen the show, you know it's a very funny moment because the, the neighbor who comes in is, is the Kramer character, and he's a little bit of a mooch, you know, to, to put it lightly. So uh, a very humorous scene, but also one that uh, thinks, and it makes us think about our possessions and, and our neighbors and our homes and, and how we view those things and how uh, we interact with those things. Uh, so last week, Patrick preached from Acts 2, uh, uh, on the fellowship of those early Christians in Acts, uh, about their devotion to worship, uh, their devotion to the Lord's Supper, their devotion to prayer, and also of the power of habit, and how spiritual habit is such a crucial thing in our formation as Christians. Uh, it's not just some dry kind of ritual thing, um, but uh, power is, uh, is such a, a part of, of our growth uh, and maturity as Christians. So this morning is somewhat of a continuation of that, but also more of a look into what makes up community life within God's church. So three things that we'll look at this morning, or you could say three marks uh, of this community life in the church. 
Uh, The first is great power and grace. The second is unity of heart and soul. And the third is our needs are met. So first thing, great power and grace. Uh, The Greek word for great uh, in this passage here is mega, and the Greek word for power is dunamis, from which the word dynamite comes from. Uh, Now, I've never set off dynamite myself, but I can imagine that if I did or if I was around it, uh, it would be quite, quite the experience. It was dynamite power. It was explosive power. And the apostles were testifying in this mega power, according to verse 33. Uh, Time and again in this series, we've talked about the power source uh, in this early church and that this power source is none other than the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 records the words of Jesus, where he says there to his apostles, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This filling of the Holy Spirit is a recurring theme in Acts, uh, something that Luke does not write about accidentally, but with intention. So those, these apostles, uh, they filled, fulfilled unique roles and did certain things that uh, were specific to that time uh, in these special roles uh, designated to them by God. Uh, nonetheless, as Christians today, we still walk in that same power of the Holy Spirit, that dynamite power that brought about such amazing things that we read about in this book of Acts. And, and it is the same great or mega grace that was upon these early believers that fills us and surrounds us today. God's grace, his undeserved kindness, his unmerited favor is what brings us initially into fellowship with God as individuals, but it's also what sustains us throughout our lives as we live in community with one another. God's grace is not one of those things that we you know, move on from as we grow as, as Christians. Uh, certainly there is uh, maturity, uh, there is spiritual formation, uh, just as physically a human matures from a young age uh, to an older one. Uh, there is spiritual maturity as well. Uh, but God's grace is not something that we graduate from. God's grace always carries us and sustains us throughout our lives. Great power and great grace. The second is a a unity of heart and soul, and and we saw this last week from the Acts 2 passage. Uh, If you look at verse 32, uh, Luke writes there that those who believed the gospel were of one heart and soul, and this resulted in a selfless kind of living. Uh, More on that uh, in a little bit. Uh, But listen to the words uh, taken from Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 in the New Testament. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. And then the words from Philippians 4, 1 through 4, where it says there, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, The beautiful thing here is that we can trace this picture of God's covenant community back to the Old Testament and the promises that God made there to his people. Uh, Listen to the words from Jeremiah 32, 39. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. Such beautiful words. And then Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. These Old Testament verses uh, communicate to us clearly that God is the one who transforms dead hearts into living ones, who makes the way for a man to have fellowship with him and enjoy that fellowship with each other. Do you ever just look around at, at church and, and marvel at how different we all are, uh, just our different uh, upbringings and uh, experiences and uh, different joys, different struggles, different, different journeys? Uh, we are so different, but we're bound together by that common thread of God's great grace, a unity of heart and soul. And then thirdly, our needs are met in this Christian community. Luke writes that to a man and a woman, these early Christians saw their possessions not as their own, but as belonging to each other. Uh, So how do we unpack what what Luke is saying here, that they had everything in common? You know, how do we take these words to mean? Well, there are some that look at this passage and say that it endorses a kind of Christian communism or Christian communalism where everything that is owned is is kind of thrown into a big bucket, you know, everyone's possessions, everyone's money, and and brought to the the church leadership, Uh, that private ownership is done away with in some kind of obligatory way. Uh, But is this what Luke is is saying in this passage? If you look at verse 34, uh, Luke writes there that there was not a needy person among them because those who owned land or houses sold them and gave over the proceeds to the apostles. But the end of that verse is also key, where it says that the proceeds were distributed to each as any had need. And that's also echoed in Acts 2.45 that we looked at last Sunday. Uh, The original Greek really translated as according as anyone had need. So their giving was done in proportion to the needs that arose within the community Uh, They saw the poor among them and responded in that way. Uh, Acts 5.3 also goes against the idea that a a kind of Christian communism was being commanded here, where Luke writes there that land ownership was something that was accepted. It was something that was common. It wasn't something that was looked down upon or condemned. But there is something else important that we cannot miss, and that is the voluntary nature of of their actions. Selling their possessions was not done out of mere strict duty, but was done out of a sacrificial spirit, out of a love for each other that flowed out of the grace that filled them. Going back to one heart and and soul, uh, this means not only believing the same things, but also acting in the same ways. Uh, Think of that friend that you have where 
you just you, you speak and you think and you act just so similarly. You know, you, you just seem to be on the same exact wavelength with that person. And, and maybe it was you know right from the moment that you met him or her. Uh, it's that same kind of way. It's not just the words that we speak and the things that we believe, but also it's the way that we act. It's the ways that we care for each other. There should be a unity in those things. When we think about this radical way of, of selfless giving, uh, it does go against the cultural way of viewing our possessions, does it not? Against the materialism of our day and age, of a, of a thinking that you know, we just accumulate possessions and, and money you know, for ourselves and no one else. Certainly there's nothing wrong with earning a paycheck and, and buying homes and buying things, buying cars, taking care of ourselves, providing for our families. Those are good things. And this materialism that is so prevalent in our modern day and age, uh, it was no different back then, you know, 2,000 years ago. Uh, certainly those Christians faced the same kinds of cultural pressures, uh, the same temptations of greed and materialism. And Luke mentions a certain individual in verse 36, uh, a man named Joseph who was given the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Uh, And this was something that the apostles uh, gave that name to him. Uh, Quite the honor, right, to to be recognized uh, in that way by, by these early leaders of the church, the apostles. Uh, Joseph was quite the guy from, from how it uh, sounds uh, in the book of Acts, uh, commended by Luke and several other places in the book for his devotion and his faithfulness. And it was his selfless act of, of selling land and, and giving over the proceeds uh, that is contrasted with the selfishness and deceit of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 in the very next chapter. They were a husband and wife who, after selling property and then lying about the proceeds that they brought to the apostles, were struck dead by God. And it was the fact that this this serious episode is mentioned in Acts 5 uh, shows in part, uh, says commentator John Stott, that Luke wanted to give a full, honest picture of this early church, uh, that yes, it included radical acts of generosity such as Joseph's, but there was also deceit and, and treachery. Sin tried to dig in its heels in the church and, and sought to rip it apart from the inside. So the question for us, are we as generous with our money and our possessions as were these early believers? Are we cheerful givers, as it says in Second Corinthians 9-7? Not giving begrudgingly, but out of joy for what God has given us for what God has done for us. Also with a faith, knowing that God will provide all of our needs in time. But there's also the aspect of hospitality that we see in this Acts 4 passage, uh, in this life of, of the early Christian community. Now it may not come to actually selling off your property Uh, But the very act of opening your home, of of sharing not only what you own with others, but sharing yourselves. You know, as I look around, I see those who who open up your homes for a small group or just to have someone come over for dinner or uh, just to hang out for a bit. Uh, What a beautiful thing that is uh, when that takes place. Uh, That simple act of, of sharing your home with others is such a vital part of a thriving growing 
Christian community. There's also the gracious act of taking someone in for an extended period of time. Uh, Maybe it's a a college student. Uh, I myself was the recipient of of just such uh, graciousness when I was in college. Um, I was living with my parents and going local to to Towson, and and my dad, who was a pastor, uh, took a, a job in North Carolina, and I decided to stay back in Maryland and, and finish school. And some really good friends of ours, longtime friends uh, from our, our old church, approached my parents and said, yeah, we'd like to take your son in and for a time while he finishes school and hopefully gets on his feet and uh, you know, gets a job. And uh, so they took me in, they opened up their home, you know, they fed me, cared for me. And it was just such a, a beautiful act of, of grace, you know, free of charge. They didn't charge rents. Um, couldn't stay there forever, of course, but it wasn't uh, an indefinite free ride. Um, but just uh, but that act of hospitality, of graciousness, is, is such a, uh, an awesome picture of community. Or maybe it's just a person in need of somewhere to live for a time for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's someone who has truly lost their way, who may not know where to turn. There's a woman named uh, Rosaria Butterfield uh, who wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Uh, great title, right? And uh, Butterfield, in the book, recounts a lot of her life story, and it's an incredible, uh, incredible story. And she talks about how uh, she was invited over to a pastor and uh, the pastor's wife's house. And at that time, uh, you know, she was very outspoken uh, for, for gay rights and and just saw Christianity as the enemy. Uh, she saw Christians as uh, just very, uh, you know, against everything that she stood for, her sexual identity and, and what she believed in. And uh, she was very skeptical, but she, she talks about how walking through the doors of that pastor and his wife's home changed her life forever. That, that, that act of, of fellowship, of, of welcoming someone into, uh, into their home, and how she came to know uh, Christ uh, as a result of, of that hospitality, uh, of that fellowship with other Christians. Uh, but she has this quote from, from the book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, where she says, Christian hospitality brings together the mystery of union with Christ and the fellowship of the saints to gather in close the stranger and the outcast and the chronically lonely. We make gospel bridges into our home because we notice the people around us and their needs. We see people whom God has put into our lives, especially the difficult ones, as image bearers of a holy God and therefore deserving of our best. Hospitality is image bearer driven because Christ's blood pumps me whole. It is not time, convenience, and calendar driven. If it were, none of it would happen. None of this grace would be mine to hold and to share. Hospitality requires daily Bible reading, deep repentance, dark mornings in solitude, and the daily willingness to forgive others whether or not they ask. Hospitality renders our houses, hospitals, and incubators. Love that last line there uh, from that quote. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, uh, there is one who, who saw us in our desperate condition and brought us into his home, as it were, extending his arms to us and sharing with us every blessing. However, it wasn't just that we were down on our luck or or needed a fresh beginning or a pick-me-up. 
Though God created man sinless because of the fall, each one of us is born into sin, unable to rescue ourselves from separation to God, being dead in our sins, having that heart of stone that only can be transformed into a heart of flesh by God's grace. More than that, we wanted nothing to do with God. We must not think that we simply choose Christianity uh, you know, from the list of religions or that we're Christians because that's who our parents are or that's who our friends were growing up. God, out of his great grace, chooses sinners and pursues sinners like you and me. Yes, we respond in faith to the good news, but even that response of faith is a gift from God. It is all of his grace. It is Jesus Christ who was born a man, who lived perfectly, who suffered, who died sacrificially, and was resurrected from the dead, as Luke tells us in this passage that the apostles were testifying to. We don't worship a dead hero. It is Christ and no one else and nothing else and by what he accomplished that meets our deepest needs to be forgiven and cleansed of our sins and reconciled to God forever. And it is this salvation won by Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, which are the lifeblood of Christian community, enabling us to experience the blessings that come from worshiping and eating and living together. We are called to sacrifice for each other. Sometimes it's difficult, right? Uh, There are times when I would just rather stay home and and watch TV on the couch uh, than be with people and around people. It's much easier. It seems a lot more comfortable. Uh, A couple weekends ago, I was doing that very thing. You know, I had college football on, and and I was doing some studying. So, um, you know, it's pretty comfortable at home. And and a friend texted me and and said, hey, can I come over and, uh, you know, practice guitar for church tomorrow? It wasn't Sean, by the way. Uh, um, and my first response was, it's getting late, you know, I'm just comfortable here at home and kind of in a groove here, and, and uh, I just really just didn't want him to come over at that time. But, uh, you know, I said, sure, you know, come over, and uh, so he did, and we hung out for a few hours and, and uh, just had a great time of catching up, of, of fellowship, of, of dialogue, and, and, you know, I'm glad that I I said yes to it and, and realized that, you know, maybe it was more about him in that moment than me um, because he said that he just didn't want to be by himself at that time. He just, you know, needed uh, some, some company, needed some conversation, uh, you know, from another Christian brother. Uh, so, you know, I'm glad uh, I followed through with that and it just was a, a reminder to me of, uh, of this fellowship that we are to pursue. Uh, and it's as we give of ourselves, it's as we give of our finances, as we give of our time, as we share our homes and our food, that God will bless us immensely and do more amazing things than we could ever imagine. Uh, brothers and sisters, God didn't choose us because we were the best of the lot, uh, because we're the best looking or the strongest or the most capable or the most theologically sound. God chose us because he chose us to take broken, needy sinners and weave us into a living community where we pursue each other for each other's sake, ultimately for the sake of Christ and God's glory. Let's pray.